Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. And we're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. If you're a guest with us today, we normally do a little bit more singing at that point in our service, but uh, we celebrate the Lord's Supper communion together every so often here in our fellowship. And when we do, we move a section of our singing and worship towards the end after we look at God's Word. So we're going to be doing some more of that in just a little bit. But I want to open God's Word for us this morning. And i got to be honest with you, I'm really excited about the potential of what God may do in some of your lives today. I really believe that, that what I want to share with you today is life-changing. I mean, everything from God's Word is life-changing. But what I want to share with you today is a truth that, honestly, in my own heart, I had heard many times over before it finally clicked for me before the Holy Spirit of God finally allowed me to, to understand the truth of God's Word in this particular area. We are, as a family of faith, studying together through the New Testament letter of 1 John. And inside of that letter, we're doing a series right now called A Believer's Walk. And last weekend, we began to talk about the believer's walk as it relates to sin. And we asked the question, what happens when a Christian sins, and we all will, amen, it's okay to say amen right there, we all will, you don't have to pretend here today. As Christians, we will have those moments of failure in our lives. We are not perfect, but we are forgiven, amen? So we will struggle, we will have moments of failure. What happens when we have those moments of failure? What happens when we sin? And last weekend, we said there are only two options when we sin. One of those options is when we sin, we get dishonest about our sin. We try to cover it up. It's deception. We're dishonest with other people. We pretend to be something that we're not. Ultimately, that leads us to a place of dishonesty with ourselves, where we begin to justify and excuse our sin because of our circumstances. And finally, that leads to a place where we actually call God a liar. We, we get to the point where we believe that what we're doing isn't sin, even though God said it is. So we can be, as believers, dishonest about our sin. But that's not where we want to live. It's not what John talks about as walking in the light. As believers, the second option we talked about is we can get honest about our sin. And there is forgiveness and there is freedom when we are honest with God about our sin. There's forgiveness and there's freedom. 
Getting honest with God is that word confession. If we confess our sins, it's to agree with God. And so last weekend, I gave you a spiritual reality that I want to put back up on the screen as we begin this morning. Here it is. A godly walk doesn't mean the absence of sin. A godly walk means experiencing victory in the presence of a very real struggle. I hope that is encouraging for you because some of us think that a godly walk means I don't ever sin, I don't ever struggle with sin, so we live defeated, we live discouraged, we live uh, despondent because we know in reality we do struggle with sin, temptation is real, we have an ongoing battle, so we therefore must not be godly. No, a godly walk doesn't mean the absence of sin and struggle. A godly walk means that I get to experience victory in the presence of a very real struggle in my life. As long as you and I live and breathe in this life, we will struggle with the reality of sin. If you can identify with that statement, say amen. Amen. We're not alone. Paul was the same way. Let me read it to you, Romans chapter 7. We don't have time to read all of this, but I want to just pull two verses out of it. You can go read the rest of it later on. Look at verses 18 and 19. Paul... Maybe the greatest missionary to ever walk on planet earth. One of the men that I think understood the Christian life as good as any human being has ever understood it. Listen what Paul said. For I know that nothing good (laughs) dwells in me. That is in my flesh. Anybody else in the room can agree with that? I know. Listen, you can hear in Paul's voice here the exasperation. I know. You know how I know? I live with it every day. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Listen to what he said next. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. Verse 19. For the good I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. You know what that is? Struggle. Anybody else identify with that? So here's the question. Can I experience victory over sin in my daily life? Can I experience victory? Or am I destined to a life of spiritual highs and spiritual lows? That's where a lot of Christians live. Come to church service like this, sit under God's word, sing some worship, take communion, go out of here like we could charge hell with a water pistol on a spiritual high. Before the sun sets tonight, our heart will deceive us. And with some attitude or action, 
will betray the God that we say we love and go from this mountaintop spiritual high to thinking I'm the worst Christian on planet earth. Or we go from, we feel destined to a life of moments where we feel very close to God and moments where God feels a million miles away because of how unclean I feel. Here's the sad reality. For most people, that is their Christianity. A lot of Christians live like this. Emotional high to emotional high. Conference and book to seminar. Trying to find some quick fix that will get us out of that trap. Can I experience victory over sin in my daily life? Well, that's exactly what John is writing about in 1 John as we begin chapter 2. Turn in your Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children. We don't have time to, to, to really unpack this, but, but John here shifts the conversation. He'd been talking to them about deception when it comes to their sin. But he shifts the conversation here to very tender language. As a spiritual father, he begins to put his arms around them. My little children. Listen to what he says next. This is so important. I am writing these things to you. So that you, read it with me, may not That ought to excite us today. John said, the whole reason I'm writing this letter to you is so that you can understand how you can have victory over the power of sin in your daily walk with God. I'm writing these things to you. Now, he's just spent all this time at the end of chapter 1 talking about what happens when we do sin... He's not denying the fact that we have a struggle. He's not denying the fact we're going to have moments of failure. He's given us the prescription of how to deal with that in confession and honesty when we do. But now John says, hey, let me tell you why I'm writing this to you. So that you may not sin. That's a statement filled with hope today. Some of you here today that have what, what some theologians would call a besetting sin. There's this certain area of your flesh that wears you out. I got one. It wears me out at times. 
Here's what John says. You don't have to let that happen. You can have victory. And then he reminds us, look what he says. And if anyone sins, because it's going to happen, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. <laughs> that is so good. You know, we, we shouldn't even have to preach that. That ought to just, that's enough. I'm going to, but that's enough. Here's the big question. Two, two questions I want to ask. Here's the first one. Is victory over sin even possible? The sad reality is some of you today have become convinced that it's not possible. Sin has worn you out for so long. That area of your flesh has defeated you for so long that you've just accepted it as reality until Jesus comes again. It's just going to beat me down. And I'm going to have to live with the guilt, the shame, the discouragement, the depression spiritually. But John said, I'm writing this, and there's a two-little-word phrase that's very important. It's the phrase, so that. Whenever you see in the New Testament those two little words, so that, it should be like a flashing light because in the Greek language, it's one word. It's the word hina, and it means for this purpose or here's the reason why. John said, I'm writing you this letter, and here is the reason why so that you may not sin. Now, it's important to note that the phrase may not sin You hear me talk a lot about present tense language in the Greek language, which means ongoing, continuous action. This is not present tense. It's aorist, meaning a moment in time. Here's what that means. John is not talking about something that I can experience, and then forever it's just going to be that way. What John says is moment by moment. In this moment, in the next moment, in the next moment, and in the next moment, I can begin in every one of those moments to experience victory over sin. John is establishing that a major motivation for his letter is to allow believers to experience victory over sin in their daily lives. I know what some of you are thinking, Pastor. I hear you talking about experiencing victory in the midst of a struggle, but if you just knew my struggle, I don't think victory is possible for me. I've struggled with this for years, Pastor. There's some of you sitting here this morning. You have allowed a particular sin or series of sins to defeat you for years. And you have just accepted as reality that until Jesus comes again, this is going to be an area where you fail more than you succeed. And one of the major reasons why many believers don't think victory is possible is because they don't understand the difference between victory and deliverance. 
Let me define them for you. I want to put the word victory up here and give you the definition. This is what I mean when I say victory. God's gracious provision to overcome the temptation to sin. God has promised us in his word that we can have victory. If you believe that, say amen. Here is victory. God's gracious provision to overcome the temptation to sin. What he has not promised in this life is deliverance. Let me show you what deliverance is. Deliverance is God's gracious provision to remove the temptation to sin. Let that sink in for a minute. Now, sometimes Christians experience deliverance. But another person's experience is not necessarily God's promise to you. Lazarus was raised from the dead. That does not mean that you and I have a promise in this life of being raised from the dead. Peter walked on water. That does not, his experience of walking on water doesn't mean that you can go out here to Lake Mead and take off. It's not God's promise that, listen, there are Christians who come to Christ and whether it's lust or drugs or alcohol or greed, whatever it is, at the moment of salvation, they experience it. They never struggle with that sin again. But just because one person experiences that does not mean that's God's promise to all of us in this life. What he does promise is victory. Let me put the two up here together. Victory is God's gracious provision to overcome the temptation to sin. Deliverance is God's gracious provision to remove the temptation. Listen, deliverance is coming for all of us. That's called heaven. When we get freed from the presence of sin. That will happen in heaven. In heaven, guess what? We'll never struggle with lust. In heaven, we'll never struggle with greed. In heaven, we'll never struggle with anger. In heaven, the struggle is over. We will ultimately be delivered from the presence of sin. We do have a struggle, but here's what I want you to hear. God has promised that in the struggle... In every moment, by His grace, we can have victory. That makes sense. Say amen. amen. Let me show it to you in the Bible. God promises victory, not deliverance. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Y'all got to listen faster. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with. 
so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from what? You know the way most people hear that? He who has died is freed from temptation to sin. It's not what it says. It says we've been freed from sin. Meaning this, sin no longer is our master. Jesus is our master. We have been set free. We've been released. The power of sin no longer has a valid claim in my life. It's still going to woo. It's still going to tempt. It's still going to seduce. But it no longer has power because Christ is now my Lord and master. Let me show it to you in another verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Look what he said. No temptation. He's writing to Christians. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And what are the next three words? Get this. Victory is not about my faithfulness to him. Victory is found in understanding and claiming his faithfulness to me. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. You know how we oftentimes hear that? No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. So you be faithful. We put all the impetus on us to try to be faithful. He said no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And hey, don't forget this. God's faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure. You hear it? He didn't promise us deliverance from temptation. He promised us victory in the moment of temptation. Ultimately, when Jesus returns and delivers us from the presence of sin, we will be delivered from ever experiencing temptation again. But as long as we live and breathe in this life, we will struggle with temptation. Paul wrote about it even stronger in Galatians chapter 5. Look what he said. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. What's that? Temptation. For the flesh sets its desire against The spirit. That phrase sets its desire against in the Greek language means to rise up in protest. Here's what he's saying. You and I, moment by moment, are now walking in dependence on the Holy Spirit of God. And every moment of every day, my flesh is rising up in protest. Against the Spirit of God in me. My flesh is warring. Look what it says. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. My flesh is warring against me. So that I cannot carry out the will of God that God has placed in my heart. That's that what Paul was talking about earlier. There's a wanting to do, but often 
The doing is not there. Why is that? Because the flesh is warring against us. And don't miss this. The flesh is not getting better. It's getting worse. You know what I've discovered in my own life? When I begin to experience victory in one area in my flesh, my flesh figures out another angle to come in the door. You know what I'm talking about. Our flesh is wicked. The Bible says of our flesh, the outer man is decaying. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. Christ is changing me on the inside, but my flesh. But John said, I'm writing so that you may not sin. As wicked as my flesh is. As ungodly as my thoughts can be. John says, we can have victory. So, so here's the second question. How? You've painted a pretty bleak picture between last week and this week about sin. How is victory over sin possible? And let me tell you how we get off track right out of the gate with this question. Here's the common mistake people make. They believe Jesus on the cross saved me from the penalty of sin by His grace. And now I am to try hard to live over the power of sin in my Christian life. I was saved from the penalty of sin by grace through faith. And now, I am to live the Christian life through willpower and determination and commitment. There are some of you here this morning, you're exhausted trying to live the Christian life in a way that gives you victory over sin. And if we pass around the microphone and got honest, we'd say there's a whole lot more failure than there is victory. Us, listen, us trying hard is not the answer. For a decade of my Christian life, That's how I lived. So I know what you're talking about if you're living there. I try. I thought, man, it it even sounds spiritual. He's done so much for me. Now I want to do something for him. Doesn't that sound spiritual? You know what it really is? Flesh. Me trying to do. That's what got me in the mess in the first place. It's not a coincidence 
that John promises victory, he drops this statement in, in the middle of a paragraph of Scripture telling us about who Jesus is. Look at it. 1 John 1, 9 tells us He is faithful. One in whom we can have full confidence. 1 John 1, 9 and chapter 2, verse 1 tells us He is righteous. He is one who always does what is right without any failure. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 tells us He is our advocate. It's the same word used to describe the Holy Spirit, one who comes alongside to give help, one who comes alongside in time of need. He is, verse 2 says in chapter 2, our propitiation. He is our substitute. And every one of these statements, He is faithful, He is righteous, He is our substitute, He is our advocate. Every one of these statements is in the present tense, meaning this. This is not who He is some of the time. This is who he is all of the time. He is always faithful. He is always righteous. He is always our advocate. He is always our substitute. So, so, so here's the spiritual reality. Look at this. Look at this. Victory is experienced as who I am moment by moment is by faith being empowered by who he is continuously. Victory is experienced as who I am moment by moment by faith is being empowered by who He is continuously. Let me unpack this. I know that's, but I want to unpack it. Remember what Paul said in Colossians 2, 6. Look at this verse. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so, what's that? There's our word. So walk in him. So that raises a question. How would you receive him? Because we're supposed to walk in him the same way we received him. How do we receive him? By trying hard. No. Let me show you how you received him. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through. And that not of yourselves. And that. Not by trying hard. It's a gift of God. As you received Him, so walk in Him. How'd you receive Him? By grace, through faith. We were saved from sin's penalty by grace through faith. We experience victory from sin's power the same way, by grace through faith. Listen to what Charles Trumbull said. The liberty of the victorious life is brought about wholly by Christ and is sustained not by our continued effort. 
but through our continued spirit-enabled receiving of God's grace. Sin, at its core, is unbelief. Let me show it to you. John 16. And he, talking about the Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not, what does it say? You would think it would say concerning sin because they do not obey me. That's not what he said. Concerning sin because they do not what? Believe me. We sin. Let me tell you why we sin. We sin because we trust the lies of our flesh, the lies of the world, and the lies of the enemy rather than trusting God. That's when we sin. Our flesh, our heart will lie to us. Hey, my heart will tell me this is what you need. But my heart, the Bible says, is sick and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The world will lie to me. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks in John chapter 2, verse 15. John says, don't love the world. Because all that is in the world, he said, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world will lie to me and say, this is what you need to be happy. This is what you need to be content. This is what you need to feel satisfied. The enemy will lie to me. The Bible says we have an enemy in Satan who's building schemes and strategies to deceive us. The Bible says he's the liar and the father of all lies. Here's the life application. Every sin in my life is choosing to believe a lie rather than the truth of God. Let me illustrate it. Let's just use the sin of lust. The truth is, God has promised in His Word, whether you are a young person, a single adult, or a married adult, God has promised in His Word that His grace is sufficient for you and for me. Here's what that means. When it comes to lust in my heart, the truth of God's Word is that God has promised He will meet every need I have. Physical, spiritual, emotional. That's the truth. His grace is sufficient. He went on to say, because my power is perfected in your weakness. Here's the lie. You must meet a need in your life through something or someone. That's where lust comes from. I got this need, and the only way I can get it met is through something or someone. 
But the truth is, God said, my grace is sufficient. I'm meeting all of your needs right now. I'm meeting them. My grace is sufficient for you. So here's the key to victory. In that moment, I must expose the lies of the enemy to the truth of God and by faith walk in the truth. Don't miss this. In that moment of lust, what do I do? What's the lie? The lie is that that'll meet my need. And here's what's so ridiculous. You know it's not going to because you've chased that rabbit down that hole. And how do you feel afterwards, right? You've been down that trail before. Did it satisfy? Did it make you content? No. When, when the act was over, what would you feel? Yeah. You know what he did? He lied. He lied. But in the moment, I have to expose the lie to the truth of God's Word and by faith believe the truth. Here's the way my mentor, Clyde Cranford, taught me. Look what he said. Growth in the Christian life is a process whereby we learn to recognize the lies of Satan, expose them to the truth of God, and decide whom we will believe, Satan or God. Only as lies are exposed to the truths of God can we begin to walk in the truth and really grow as Christians. It makes sense. Jesus said, you will know the what? And the truth will set you what? Victory. Jesus said the only way to victory is to know the truth. Why? Because in the moment of the lie, whether it's my flesh, the world, or the enemy, in the moment of the lie, I need to expose it to the truth. And then by faith, believe the truth. Faith unleashes the grace of God in our lives. You know what we need in a moment of temptation? We need grace. You know where it comes from? By grace through faith. Listen to what Charles Trumbull said. Look at this. Grace isn't merely God's attitude towards us, but his activity on our behalf. Grace doesn't mean God stands off and smiles in our direction. Grace means his tremendous omnipotent activity. Jesus Christ wants us to let him do his work through us. He does not want to be our helper. He wants to be our life. It's not in the moment of temptation, Jesus, help me. He doesn't want to be our helper. He wants to be our life. Why? Because he is righteous. He always does what's right all the time, never fails. So when I, by faith, trust in him, guess what happens? He, by grace, begins to live his life through me. And guess what you call that? Victory. 
Now, that doesn't mean that in the next moment, I'm not going to have to deal with that temptation again. I may. But I keep getting victory the same way. This means, get oh, this is so good. This means that every temptation is not simply an opportunity to sin. Every temptation is an opportunity to listen for the Holy Spirit's voice of truth saying, follow me. And when we by faith follow Him, guess what we get? Victory. So here's what this means. Victory demands intimacy with God. You and I will never know victory if in the moment of temptation we're not listening for His voice. Because in that moment, you know what He's going to do? He's going to show us the truth. But here's what happens. We distance ourselves from our fellowship with God. That's why John started this whole conversation about fellowship. We distance ourselves from fellowship with God. And then we wonder why in the moment we can't have victory. Because we don't recognize His voice. You see, temptation, it's not just a moment to sin. It's a moment to listen. In that moment of temptation, here's what you do. You say, Holy Spirit of God, what is the truth? And God, even though right now I don't feel it, all my feelings are saying, this is the answer. By faith, I'm going to believe the truth. And when we do that, you know what we get? The unleashing of His grace, which is His life in and through us. Does that make sense? Now, this doesn't mean that there won't still be moments when we fail. As long as we live in this life, there'll be those moments. But look what he said next. I'm writing these things so you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. It's a beautiful word. We don't have much time to unpack it, but this word advocate describes someone who's called alongside in time of need. And it says, with the Father. That's the same construction used in John 1. 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. With God, meaning face to face with God. Meaning in your moment of sin. In that moment of weakness, when I believe the lie. Here's what the Bible says. We have Jesus standing face to face with the Father. And He's not saying we're innocent. He's acknowledging our guilt, but he's saying, I've already paid for that. We have an advocate with the Father. And we have what the Bible says, he's not just our advocate, he's our propitiation. It's a word for substitute. It means that he's already taken all of the penalty. When we do sin, he's already borne the penalty. He's already borne the wrath so that now there's no condemnation. So when we do fail, John said, here's what you got to do when you fail. 1 John 1, 9, confess. Just get honest. 
Acknowledge it. Lord, I believe the lie. You're right. I'm wrong. My flesh is wrong. The world is wrong. The enemy's wrong. And when we do that, what do we experience? The forgiveness of God. And so that moment of failure doesn't become a week of depression. It became a moment of failure that immediately leads us back to experiencing the victory of grace and forgiveness in Christ. And then in closing, I love the last line. He said, he's our propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. What does that mean? Here's what it means. No one is beyond the reach of Christ's forgiveness. There's some of you here today who think, man, I'm so far gone, Pastor. There's no way that God could ever forgive me. No. Not for ours only, but for the sin of the whole world. No one is beyond the reach of Christ's forgiveness. Today, Last weekend and today, we've talked about sin and the life of a believer and how we deal with it, how we experience victory over it. We've talked about Christ's provision for our sin. Jesus gave us a beautiful practice that allows us to remember and celebrate all that we've been talking about for these last two weekends. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. But communion and the Lord's Supper are not given to us as acts that we can perform to earn righteousness with God. They're given to us so that we can remember all that He's already done. All that He's already accomplished. He's our propitiation. It means that Christ on the cross took all of your sin and all of my sin. And on the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the penalty of God against sin. All of it, all of the hell that I deserve because of my sin. Christ took it on the cross and He died. But He rose again as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sin. Now you and I can be born again into relationship with God. But not only that, we can experience victory moment by moment all because of who Jesus is. And at the Lord's Supper, we take the bread. It's a reminder of his body that he gave for us. We take the cup. It's a reminder of the blood that he shed for us. And we get to celebrate all that God has done to make this lavish grace and forgiveness that we've talked about for two weekends available. It's also an opportunity for us to examine our own heart. I want you to look at this verse on the screen. Last verse we'll read. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Paul writing about the Lord's Supper said, but a man must examine himself and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. When we come to the Lord's table, it's an opportunity for us to look inside So here's what's about to happen. We're about to take these last two weekends of God's Word and put it into practice. There are five things that we're about to do all at once. It's a little bit of worship chaos. Everybody all right with it this morning? We're going to do five things at once. Here's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to begin to examine our hearts. Go ahead and let our worship team, you guys can go ahead and come and begin to get in place. We're going to examine our hearts. We've talked about sin. Is there, a, is there a sin in your life that right now you need to expose to the truth of God and by faith believe the truth? Is there a sin in your life that you've been covering up and lying about? 
Listen, we're going to take these altars up here at the front. We're going to open them. You can just come be alone with God and allow God's, you can get honest. You can confess and allow God's grace and forgiveness to just flood your soul. We're going to examine our hearts. Here's the second thing we're going to do. We're going to have time of intercession. We're going to have some pastors up here. There are going to be four of us along the front. If there's something in your job, your health, your family, your life, a relationship, and you want us to pray over you, we'd be honored in this moment to pray over you. You just come. We'll be here. Third thing we're going to do is we're going to worship. We're going to worship God by taking the elements at the Lord's table. I'm going to ask our table hosts to go ahead now and move to their tables. We've got tables in the corners up here at the front. We've got them in the far corner. We've got them in the corners in the back, one back here in the middle. They're all the same. At some point in this moment of worship chaos, we like to call it, after you've examined your heart, when you've prayed, you you go to one of these tables, and we have people there that are going to serve you the bread and the cup that symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus and allow us to remember and celebrate all that he's done. So whichever table happens to be closest to you, it's kind of like the exits on the airplane. Find the one nearest you, right back here in the corners, up here in the corners, and right up here at the front. Just be patient. There's a lot of people in this room. It's going to be a little challenging, but here's the fourth thing we're going to do. We're going to praise God. Our team is going to be leading us in songs of praise. So after you've examined and interceded and you've worshiped at the table, you come back and you praise Him. You can go ahead and and, and take the bread and, and drink the cup and pray over that. And then you just begin to join in with our team as we sing praises to God. And then here's the last thing we're going to do, an invitation. Maybe you're here today and you don't know this Jesus that we're talking about. Maybe you've never come to know Him. You're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus. This morning, as our pastors are here at the front, we invite you, while others are going to the table and coming to the altar, you come to one of our pastors, and here's all you have to say. I need Jesus. And we're going to have somebody ready to sit down with you and have a conversation with you for just a few minutes about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. So if you don't know him today, we invite you to come to know him. And everything we've just talked about, you can begin to know victory in your life so those are the five things we're going to do all at once it's not a time to leave early it's not a time listen we're responding to God today in worship Father we invite you in this moment Holy Spirit of God would you speak as only you can Lord would you have your way here God, I pray that Christians are beginning to, the lights are going off in their mind, that the Spirit of God is illuminating their understanding so that they can begin to experience victory moment by moment by exposing the lie of the enemy to the truth of God, by faith believing the truth, and then allowing your grace to set them free. Lord, I pray for Christians that are covering sin. God, I pray that in this time of examination that they would get honest that they would confess it, that they would embrace your forgiveness. Lord, I pray for those that are here that need to be saved. God, that they would come, that they'd be born again into a relationship with God. And then, Lord, I pray that we would worship. God, may we worship you today. Lord, as we take this bread and this cup, we pray your blessings over it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood that was shed. We bless you, O God, and it's in the name of Jesus we